this series, and actually I get to finish it today, on redemption. And we have been working through the book of Ruth. And so today, I'm in chapter 4. However, the events of Ruth chapter 4 really begin at the end of chapter 3. Ruth has come to the threshing floor. And I know Craig talked about this last week. I wasn't here with you, but I was with you. I was praying for you guys. And she has fully submitted herself to Boaz, if you remember. I hope you've read through chapter 4 before you got here today. If, if you didn't, you honestly probably could do in the next 30 seconds. It's like not that long. But she has placed all of her wants for her future, her desires at his feet. And she is kind of like, I am in submission, Boaz, to whatever you want. Truly, she just wants his heart. Truly. She wanted an intimate relationship with him. She didn't care about money. She didn't care about prestige or status. She just had this purity of heart that, that was just whatever you want. I'm, I'm submitting to you. And because of this, Boaz was able to receive her fully. He stirs out of his sleep only to find a woman laying at his feet. Okay, you guys just like picture this, okay? Don't just let me say it, see it. And he's like, wait, <laughs> what's happening here? <laughs> and Ruth's like, calm yourself, it's fine. I'm Ruth, remember? I'm the one that was like out leaning among the sheaves. You remember the whole bringing in the sheaves, all that? And, and she's like, take me under your protection, is what she says. You're my next of kin. This was a thing. Okay, this sounds kind of strange to us. But this was a thing. Back in the day, this was what was. Okay, Boaz got it. When she said, take me under your protection, I'm your next of kin. He's like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. Basically, it's totally cool that you snuck into my room while I was sleeping, laid at my feet, uncovered my feet from the blanket, which was probably okay because my feet were kind of hot. I had a little too much wine at dinner. Then... You creepily stared at me until I woke up. And then I'm like, what is happening here? And you're like, hey, um, you should marry me because you're my next of kin. Totally normal. Verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have acted even more faithfully than you did at the first when they first met. You haven't gone after rich or poor or young men. And my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you everything you're asking. Whoa. Indeed, my people who are all at the gate will know you're a woman of worth. He's like, Ruth, what the heck? Whereas most would grow cold in interest towards someone over time, you have not done that. You've actually increased in your devotion, and you've made this bold move right now, right here. You've upped your commitment. You're like, I want all of this. You're inconvenienced. It's the middle of the night. You're sold out, and you're devoted to your request. That's pretty impressive. This is a prophetic picture that we can relate to. As we, as we learned the last few weeks, Boaz actually represents the Lord in our lives. And the longer we were with Jesus, there is a tendency to grow cold in our affection towards him. To risk apathy or disinterest or meh, meh, just casually approach the presence of God. And with no great love or passion. Have you, I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> bought your kids like seasoned passes to a theme park. 
Well, we have, and when our kids were little, we did that um, a couple different times, different theme parks and whatnot. And at the beginning, boy, were they excited. They were like, you are the best ever. You know, and they were so excited. And we're going to SeaWorld or we're going here or we're going there. And, and we'd all like, we would go and it was so exciting. Best day ever. After a few times, we're going to SeaWorld again. Hmm. I'm like, do you know how many kids would love to go to SeaWorld? You know, or whatever, whatever park that is. But it, it kind of grew cold. It got complacent, like the same old, same old. And sometimes that can happen with our relationship with Jesus. But it's not the way it should. And it certainly wasn't what we experienced this morning in worship. As your hunger came through for the presence of God. It's not the way it should be. It should be growing, loving more, giving more, sacrificing more. There is a, a meme that's been going around, and it's a few different things. I'm going to get them to pop it up on the screen here. And uh, see the, the one plant in the corner? And then more, more, more. And there's like all these plants. Well, in our neighborhood, there is a family that loves to decorate, okay? And this is it's not plants, but at Christmas, we witnessed this, okay? There was like one little thing out. And then the next day, there was a couple more things and a couple more things. And it, like, it, we, we can, don't judge us for being creepy, but we can actually see their house, like, from, like, our, one of our windows. So we would watch them as they would put up more. And we were, like, we were familiar with this, this meme. And we're, it's like, more, 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 to the point you could not see the house. I kid you not. It's not even a very big house. But it was, like, covered. Well, that's how we should be with Jesus. More, more, more. Because of Ruth's surrender and vulnerability to the will of, of Boaz, he was able to receive her and grant what she, she asked. It wasn't even a question. He was happy. It brought, brought him a lot of pleasure to do this. Um, but then he adds something, like additional information, that was kind of like not great. He says, I really want to make this happen, and I really want to grant your request, but I'm actually not your next of kin. And she was like, oh, dang. There's another guy ahead of me, and I got to talk to him because I am a man of integrity, and I want to do it right. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So he's like, um, hold, on, hold on a minute. Let me figure this out. Have you ever been there where you know something's God's will? But there's like a journey to get there. There's like steps, and sometimes it feels like hoops that you have to jump through to get you. But you know the end of the line. You know it's God's will. And you just want to like jump over and be there, but you got to go through the proper channels. You'll get there. But if you're going to get there, you want to get there the right way and do it well. Well, that was Boaz. He wanted to get there, but he wanted to sacrifice his integrity to do it. I mean, we have to live with it, right? So it, it, it's fine because you arrive a little later at your destination where you want to be, but doing things well far outweighs arriving fast and then carrying the heavy baggage that that shortcut caught, you know, cost you. So here they are. Boaz presses pause. Um, 
but like like why what's the deal here like I, I feel like in order to fully understand that we need to understand the, the concept of the kinsman redeemer the next of kin which is talking about so what does that even mean why is it such a big deal so in Israel the concept of family or clan loyalty protection was very honored it was like the highest of honored and it was a manifestation of the very life and character of God with his people okay so the land of Israel didn't actually belong to the people. It belonged to God. And when he divided the promised land to the people in the days of Moses, he did it with this stipulation. Leviticus 25, 23. So the land should not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, which is God's. You are foreigners and temporary residents with me. So in all the country that you possess, you are, able, you are to provide for the redemption of the land in the year of Jubilee. Okay. So land was not sold, as we understand it. It was kind of like leased, okay, if that helps. Individual property could be sold for a time if financial pressure dictated that. Like a dr drastic action, someone was like really hard up and they had to sell in order to make it. But every 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee, fun fact, we got a car for free many, many years ago and then we put a Jubilee sticker on it. Because that's awesome. The land was returned to its rightful owner in the year of Jubilee. So to make sure there was the, the blessing in the families, God established the principle of the kinsman redeemer. So if due to extreme financial hardship, you had to sell your land, then the value was based on the years until Jubilee and how useful the land was or how much the land would earn. So during this time, if a family, like, I can't, I can't keep up the land. I'm in a bad state. I have to sell it. A kinsman could purchase the land on behalf of their relatives, or if the family recovered at any time, they could buy the land back. The same was true if people sold themselves into slavery due to poverty. If the first kinsman was unable to buy it back or didn't want to, down the line it went next in line. But that redeemer had to have three specific qualities in order to redeem. One, they had to have the right. They had to be the closest. Two, they had to have the readiness, a willingness to step in and I'm doing this. And three, they had to have the resources. They had to have the finances to complete the transaction. So this is quite the thing. It's quite the little situation they have worked out here so this morning after comes okay Ruth went home she had been there all night she uncovered his feet did the thing Boaz is like I'm not actually the guy there's another guy let me work it out and she goes home um, to Naomi her mother-in-law and Boaz goes to the gate of the city because at the gate of the city that's where all the legal transactions happen so the men would gather at the gate and they'd like talk business and they work it out and then they would do things like with their shoe they take it off and give it to people and, they, and it's just like this was normal, okay? So, Boaz actually, though, sent Ruth home with six measures of barley. Hmm. Ruth 3.15. He says, give me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. She's like, okay. So, he, he, she holds it out, and he measures six measures of barley, and he puts it on her. And then she went into the city. Then she went home, and her mother-in-law said, how did it go? Because remember, Naomi had actually sent her to the threshing floor. Ruth told her everything the man had done for her, and she said, and he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi's like, sit down, wait. 
my daughter, until you learn how this matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he settled it today. Interesting. How did Naomi know this? Did she, like, was there, like, a background check on Boaz? Did she have him followed? Like, what, like how does she know he will not settle until this matter? You know, like, it seems like this is the type of thing, you know, like, moms know everything. It's because it kind of seems like that type of situation. I don't think it was. I think it was a little more than that. But it's like where you're just like, as a kid, you're like, mm, I think she knows. And, I mean, I experienced that. I feel like I know everything. I don't know how I know. I just know. It just happens. Moms know everything. It seems like that's what's happening here. However, it was deeper. Boaz gave six measures of barley. And he said, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Ruth was like, great, took it at face value. This is awesome. Very nice man. Gosh, you know, he's feeding us in what, like, you know, it's going to be a nice treat for Naomi, but it was more. And I feel like Naomi decoded the secret message. She read between the lines. She heard what he didn't say, but instead what he showed. It was it was like when your husband or wife gives you the look and you just know what it is. Have you ever been in a situation where you need out of something? And, like, you just kind of look and they know exactly, I need to save them right now. They're in a situation they need to get out or, or whatever it might be. You just know. It's, it's just like a look. She saw it. So it looked like Boaz was being super nice and sending food home. But the number six meant more. Six was the number that represented man. He said, don't go home to your mother-in-law empty-handed. I feel like it was more about the message than the food, but the food represented the message. It was not about don't go home with no food, but more about don't go home without knowing that I deeply care about your requests, and I'm working on it. I, the future man in your life, the hope to be kinsman redeemer for you and your family line, am giving you six measures, the measure of man, the number of man, six measures to speak of what I'm believing for. This was a prophetic he could have gave her five. He could have gave her seven. He gave her six to represent I, the future man, what you have asked me for. I'm giving you six measures of barley. So this is the hope that you hang on to while you wait for your answer. Those six measures of barley is the longing and for your heart to be fulfilled, to have a man in your life, to have provision for your future. Do not go home empty-handed. I'm working on it. See, something to hold on to while you wait is a beautiful thing. I know many of you have experienced like a prophetic word or um, seed money where you're believing for financial breakthrough and you don't have it all, but maybe you've got something that you could sow in. Maybe a picture. You're spending time with Jesus and he just kind of gives you a picture in your mind of something that you can hold on to, hope. Or someone walks up to you and says, I just want to encourage you today. And they say something that they shouldn't know about, but encourage you. Or they pray for you for a certain situation in your life and you feel uplifted. It's something to hold on to 
while we wait because we don't know how long we're going to wait. When, when our daughter Faith was born, um, and many of you know she was born with a very complex heart defect and wasn't expected to live. She's now almost 17 and is amazing, right? But back when she was first born and we didn't know if she would have another 24 hours, God gave us a verse of 1 Corinthians 2.5. It said, your faith does not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. That hope gave us holding power. That's what I'm talking about. So this was the sixth measure of barley. It was a prophetic act, something to hold on to. I'm working on it. It holds you as you hold it. So Boaz, as promised, he went to the gates. He's like, I'm going to do some business. So he found the next of king guy, happened to be there, gathered ten more men, and they're going to talk this out. So he explains what's happening. He says, hey, there's land that needs to be purchased on behalf of Naomi's family, you remember Naomi, she's back from Moab. And, you know, she's had tragedy in her life, and her husband died, and her sons died. And if it's yours. If you want it, it's yours. And this guy's like, heck yeah, I want it. That's awesome. Like, what? A, it's like a jackpot. Like, he just totally scored. It's worth a ton. The price is cheap. It's like walking up to the clearance rack and, like, rack and your favorite thing is, like, on it. You're like, well, I love popcorn, and it's on the clearance rack. You know, it's like that. Boaz was like, hold up, though. There's just, like, a little thing that I just didn't say. It comes with a person. He's like, it's like a twofer. Well, actually, a threefer because the mother-in-law is involved, too. Okay, so if this isn't something to make everyone run, <laughs> you get a wife and a mother-in-law all in one, just like that. But you get the land, so. Well, he's like, you know, Ruth has to be redeemed um, so she can have children and her husband's legacy can continue. But it's all yours, man. It's all yours. Have it. Hmm. Well, Naomi's land was available. He was right. And he did have the right to purchase this, this guy. Um, and he was very interested in the property. It seems likely how this happened was Emelech, Naomi's husband, maybe before he left during the famine, sold the land before moving to Moab. So Naomi was invoking that law of the kinsman redeemer. So this is kind of what was happening here. It was a very smart plan. And generally speaking, this guy was right. It would have been a very, very good financial move for him because he could just take it. He could, you know, marry. Naomi was old and, and far beyond childbearing years. She's not going to have any more kids. So basically, this kinsman redeemer could keep the land in his family line. So, like, this was like a steal of a deal until Ruth. So he's like, you know, I don't think so. I think this is a hard pass for me. Like, it was good until you mentioned, you know, all the ladies. <laughs> but uh, you know what? You take it. It's fine. It was the game changer. The closer kinsman redeemer had all the things. Okay. He checked all the boxes. He was next in line. You know, he, he, he had the money, all those things. But he didn't want it. He was like a pretend redeemer. It was like fake. Fake news. He wanted it until he realized it would cost him something. It was selfishness. It was self-centered 
living, all factored in in this moment. But Boaz was different. Boaz knew from the, the start what it would cost him. And he was all in. This is such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Jesus knew what he was getting into. But he still wanted all of us. And held nothing back. To give us everything with no promises of anything in return. Come on. So here we are. We made it to the end. Chapter 4. And it's all about Ruth's bold ask. And Boaz. Sure answer. Ruth asked. She asked this question. She put herself at his feet. She said, take me under your protection. See, when we, when we want things and need things in life, we need to go bold before God. It's one of those things that, if, if we're honest, we kind of struggle with because it's that confidence that will he answer my prayers? Like, I know he can, but I just don't know if he will. He's definitely able but will it actually happen? And we want to believe for it, but, but in, in the middle of our problem, we, we sometimes do everything except bring it to him. We talk to people, and we come up with a game plan. We fret or, you know, complain about it, or we stress about it. And we have all these issues that surround our problem when really we should just bring it to Jesus and say, you know what, this is huge. I'm believing for the healing, for the miracle, for the breakthrough, for the provision. I'm, I'm just going to go out there and ask. And I'm going to risk, you know, disappointment or discouragement or any of those things. But I'm just going to go and ask you for the miracle. This was Ruth. She was a regular person. She wasn't anything more than us. In fact, she was a stranger, a foreigner in, in, in the land. So how is it that we, as we come in relationship with Jesus, sometimes still struggle with those asking? And, and why is it that sometimes life just doesn't go well, even though we are the children of God? And why are our prayers sometimes not answered the way we hoped? These are real questions. So why? James 4 kind of sheds a little bit of light on it. He says, you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So, number one, we just don't ask. That's one reason we don't get what we need in our lives. We just don't ask. Simple, but happens all the time. You know, a Christian with a deficient prayer life is like a, like a, a stock car without gas. It looks really good, but it doesn't have what's necessary to fulfill its purpose. Prayer isn't what we do before the work. It is the work. It's difficult to have a sustained prayer life. It is. That's why most people don't. Some of it's laziness, yeah, but I don't know that it's all that. I think some of it is that, um, that feeling that we can't measure up to the next person. It's like, gosh, look at them. They just, like, they're such a good prayer, you know, and they're just, like, amazing. And I can't, I don't think I could do that. So I just, it's like we're frozen to do nothing because we, can't, we feel like we can't be as good. It's not, you just need to be free in your prayer life. You just need to be free. 
Smith Wigglesworth used to say he was a powerful revivalist way back in the day that saw so many miracles, crazy miracles. He used to say, I don't know if I've sat and prayed an hour, like continually in my life, but an hour has never gone by that I haven't prayed. It's just about communion with Jesus all the time. So it's not about a checklist of, okay, I got up and from 6 to 7 I prayed. Or it's just about wanting to want it, wanting to be there, wanting to commune with him and letting go of all the, the legalism and the, the ritualistics that we put on ourselves or we feel from other people when they're probably they're not actually putting it on us. What's the best way for you to connect with God? Think about it. Because maybe it's like this morning in a worship set where you're just like, that's where I feel God the most. Maybe it's hiking, right? Maybe it's sitting at a coffee shop with just some headphones in or something like that, where you're just like going on walks, sitting at the beach. What? You need to do you and connect with him, to ask for things of him, but sometimes just to sit with him because he knows what we need before we even ask also. But how easy is it to give those bold requests when we're already just there laying at his feet? And he looks at us and says, well, what's happening here? I just need, I just have this going on right now. Yes. I say yes. The second thing is we ask all wrong. Sometimes we don't ask and sometimes we ask all wrong. Ruth, Ruth made a bold ask, but the motives were good. Her motives were good. But sometimes we're selfish and sometimes it, it's just kind of we're ambitious to our own wants rather than the things of God. We, we think it lines up to what he wants, but really it was just kind of something in us that we wanted because... Proverbs 16.2 says, all the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. So you may think your intentions are right, but really God knows ah, that's not quite right. It's, it's, like, it's like going and praying for someone to be healed and seeing them healed. That's a good thing, right? But if the motive is, so I have this spectacular thing work through me, you see where it's off? So our motives matter. To correct ourselves on the inside is not an easy thing. It's going to take some Jesus time. It's going to take some laying at his feet. But it's worth it, and it will happen. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done. Key point, if you abide in me and I abide in you, that phrase, will be done for you, means to become or cause to exist. So this, it gives a sense that if I have it, it's yours. Like Boaz is like, yes, yes, I want to grant your request, yes. But wait, I don't actually have it yet because I'm not the next of kin. But what this verse says but if, it's, if he has it, it's yours. But if it's not, I will create it for you. In the original language, that's what it means. Isn't that interesting? And Boaz is like, but let me go work on it. So if he has it, it's yours. But if it's not yet been created, he will create it and give it to you because you abide in him. 
If you abide in him and he abides in you, he will give whatever you ask. And if he doesn't have it, he will create it to give to you. Wow. Hmm. So if you're praying for something that doesn't exist yet, that's okay. Because he's at work creating it to give it to you. Boaz answer. So Ruth's bold ask and Boaz answer. Boaz said yes. He said yes before he even knew he could do it. Yes, yes, this is my intention. Yes, here's the barley. You know, she'll know what that means. You know, go home. Uh, yes. This was a reflection of his life and uh, just a picture of his generosity as a man of God. That's what it reflected here. A life of generosity. This is Boaz and this is Jesus. How? Well, Boaz was generous in praise. If you, if you read back the, the other chapters that we kind of already went through, when he used to go to the harvest field he, in chapter 2, he would call out to the reapers, his servants, his, and he'd be like, the Lord be with you. And they would respond all together, the Lord bless you. It's like he just blessed them. He walked onto his field, you know, and he's like, the Lord be with you. And they're like, bless you. And this was just like a really great guy to work for, right? He was generous in his praise. He was, he was generous. Psalms 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That should be a picture of our lives. And if, if it's not there yet, just start with the intention. Like plan on it, work at it, and over time, before you know it, it will just flow out of you. It'll just, I wasn't always like this, but now, like I, <laughs> through the night, I'm just like, I don't even know, but like I'm always singing a song. It's like my mind never stops. Like, it literally never stops. So if you see me quiet, I'm not actually quiet. Inside, it's like, whoa. It's like always something happening. So at night, when I'm sleeping, if I wake up for a second, which I do many, many seconds of the night. <laughs> like, always awake and asleep and awake and asleep. Soon as I wake, there's a worship song going in my head. It's me in the singing. I don't know. Like, I don't. It don't make it. It just happens. So I wake up singing it in my head. I go to sleep singing it in my head as I'm going around like I'm praying. And it's just always happened. But it didn't. I wasn't born that way. It was intention, intentionality. And then before I realized it, for probably years of intention, it just became natural. Naturally supernatural. Which is God's heart for you. It's a beautiful thing. In Ruth 4, 11 to 17, it was a, you can read it, but it was a great heart of faith and blessing that rested on the people of God. There was words of life and encouragement spoken over her and Boaz. And, and, and the people actually prophesied that Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah, which was, these are the women that, that come with the 12 tribes of Israel. This is huge for a foreigner. Generosity in our words, release people into their destiny. Like Ruth literally stepped into the prophetic word as they spoke that over her and then was mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Wow. She didn't belong where she was. She was an outsider, but now in the line of the Messiah. See, you rise past 
uh, appeared potential societal norms and what's appropriate when you submit yourself to Jesus. My life is not my own. I am a laid down lover. Whatever you want, I live on the altar. Number two, he was generous with money. The closer kinsman, he, you know, he could have he done this for Ruth. But because there was no advantage to him long term, he wasn't interested. He thought it would be a loss at the end. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due and yet results in only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. You think by giving the water away, you're not going to have any water. But the Bible says the more you give away, the more you get. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor. But who seeks evil, evil will come. It's the sowing and reaping principle. Boaz didn't worry about the money. He gave it all. He was just happy to bless Ruth. He was just happy uh, to be to have this, this lady who he met in the field become his new wife. His generosity and taking her on and her cost of living was, was making room for legacy in his life, really. Really, that's what it was. See, Ruth and Boaz ended up having a child. His name was Obed. He was named by the women in the neighborhood. <laughs> that's so strange. And it was a prophetic name, though. Obed meant worshiper and servant. Wow. Wow. Did that just not embody both Roaz, uh, Boaz and Roaz? <laughs> yes, Roaz. That embodied Roaz. Worshiper and servant. It's a prophetic picture of what life would be like for them. And this is truly a blessing. Kids, children, our children are such a blessing to our lives. They are an inheritance from the Lord. It is so exciting to, for when children that would to carry their heart of worship and their heart of servanthood. Obed, how exciting is this? In the end, if you read like through, Obed ministers healing to his family. Why? Because Naomi has a grandchild. She thought her life was over. She is a kinsman redeemer. He redeemed her life and inherited her land. Brought on a wife and generations to come. And I, I mean, I don't have any grandkids, but I've heard there's nothing better. I don't know if there's any grandparents in the room, but I've heard this. Our children are the purest form of blessing in our lives as they live out their love for Jesus. It's incredible. So Ruth has a husband and a son. There's great joy. She started out in a place of a stranger to Israel, to the congregation of the Lord. God pulled on her. She took a risk. She was faithful. She did the hard thing. She worked for it. She trusted the people in her life. And she moved into full reward. Redemption complete. There was no way for her, for her to know back when she started that her life would turn out this way. She made these decisions not knowing. It might work. It might not work. I don't know. 
You don't know until you get there, right? Because it's a faith walk, not a sidewalk. See, it's easy to see the end when the end is here. It's difficult when it's a blank screen, an empty page, just a repeat playing of the past, the old ways, past seasons, broken dreams. When Boaz held Ruth and Naomi's future in his hands and he gave the six measures of barley, this was hope. This was to look at, to hold on to as comfort and to eat. It was nourishment in the waiting. Sometimes we just need nourishment in the waiting for our full reward. And I don't know what situation you're finding yourself in today. Maybe it's a huge step of faith that you're stepping out in. Maybe it's something in your life that you just really need an answer for. You could be praying for a while, or maybe it just happened, or maybe tomorrow. I'm not speaking this out, but we know we only have this moment. So maybe tomorrow something could change. And you're going to need God to step in on your behalf. What are you holding on to? While you wait, because coming to us is our full reward, our redemption. But what do we hold on to as we wait? Let's stand. I want to ask three questions before I close, and then I'd like to pray for you. What do you need to hold today in order to have hope? What are you holding that's leaving no space for hope? Sometimes we got it. Our hands are so full of stuff that we can't. We can't hold on to the thing that God wants to give us. Sometimes we just have to lay something down in order to pick something up. So what are you holding that's leaving no room for hope? And what can you let go of to make that room today? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every dear person in this room right now. I thank you that... I. Their heart today in worship just came through so strong as they poured out their love and adoration towards you. I thank you for hungry people. I thank you for worshipers and servants in the house of the Lord. I pray right now for everyone that needs, they've been waiting for a long time and they're ready for that redemption and they're ready for that full reward and they're ready for the breakthrough in their life. I pray right now that you would show them the hope that you have given while they wait. That you would reveal to them what it is that they can hang on to. Maybe it's a picture right now of hope. Maybe it's someone's going to talk to them in a few minutes and encourage them. Maybe it, it, it's, it's a friend that's just going to give a, a text message that they needed to hear. But I pray right now for everyone that they would be open to receive hope today, the hope that has the holding power as we wait for our full reward in you. God, make us courageous. Make us bold in our ask of you. And may our answer always be yes to you. We just love you. Just tell them you love them this morning. We love you, Jesus. We love you, we love you, we love you. And it's truly, truly our joy to live as laid down lovers for you.
in Jesus' name. Amen.